Welcome to Frivolous Comma Podcast, everyone. My guest today is Shingai Njeri Kagunda, an Afrofuturist storyteller from Nairobi, Kenya, with Literary Arts MFA from Brown University. Her work has appeared in several publications, including Omenana, Fantasy Magazine, Correo, Africa Risen, and several anthologies. Her debut novella, And This Is How to Stay Alive, was published by Neon Hemlock Press in October 2021. Shingai is the co-editor of Podcastle Magazine and the co-founder of Voodoo Knots, a grassroots collective promoting and supporting connection and craft within the global black science fiction fantasy community. Shingai, welcome to the Frivolous Comma Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. I'm excited I, to be here. Great. So, Shingai, I typically like to ask, um, start off my interviews by, you know, talking about why you started writing. Mm. And so if you have some thoughts of why, like when, when and why um, this, this bug caught you, right? Oh. And um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's an interesting question because it's like, I think you can, ask, you can ask the question in response, what type of writing? <laughs> sure. Because um, yeah, I've been writing for as long as I can remember, just you know, there's a writing that you do when you're a child that's like telling frivolous stories about whatever comes to the imagination and then writing your th- thoughts down in your journal. And then there's when I was in high school, I started writing spoken word and poetry and I started performing spoken word and poetry, um, which was my first introduction to formal writing or thinking about writing as a possible future and career. Okay. Um, yeah, and then I also was writing on Wattpad when I was a teenager. Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah, very exciting for me and my friend. We were co-writing this huge epic novel, which we never finished. Um, but we had a thousand reads and we thought it was the best thing in the whole entire world. Like we were famous. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and now, was this, in, uh, was this uh, in the United States? Was this in Kenya? Or, or this where was... This was in Kenya. So I grew up, yeah, I grew up in Kenya. I only moved to the States um, 2019 August. So what are years? Two and a half years ago, three years. Yeah. 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 And even half of that time, I've been like splitting between the States and Kenya because the pandemic happened immediately after. Um, And, you know, there was a season where we were borders were closed so it was hard to move between countries but yeah. immediately i could I, I went back home for like five months <laughs> that's amazing that's yeah. amazing so uh, yeah. so it's that thousand readers on wattpad for your for your epic novel with your friend is that all that's that's yeah. fantastic have you, have you gone back to it to revisit it or have you reread it we have this dream i have gone back to it a few times over the years that was like 10 years ago um and we have this dream of eventually finishing it because we had this whole series in mind and we were writing the two protagonists like each of us was writing one of the protagonist perspectives um and i was like this was this has potential but <laughs> but there are also the things of like it was definitely written by a teenager <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so um, along those lines, it sounds like writing uh, science fiction or fantasy or some kind of speculation was yeah. was er, there from the start. Do you have a sense of what what drew you to that, or you know, either things you read or things from just growing up, etc.? Yeah. 
Okay, so an interesting thing is I grew up deeply religious, deeply in um, the Christian tradition, and I was al- always obsessed with Revelation. <laughs> okay. Which is the last book about the end times and like all these magical beastal things that are going to happen and um all, like the speculative elements of of the the faith that was common is is the part that drew me to it. Um and I think even just culturally and and historically just the the legends or the myths that I was told by aunties and like um people in my immediate vicinity always fascinated me. Um and a lot of the times they had like the types of stories that were told um were about morals and were they those are lesson they were parables there was yeah. um the animal stories or the stories about the ogres um and they always had an agenda of sorts mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and i just really liked that way of communicate communicating who humans are mm. and what we believe that our values are through speculation and i think that's something that we did a lot it was like oh this is what our society believes about the way the world is through the story about a rabbit and um a fox or right. through this ogre that stole these children because they did this and this thing yeah <laughs> yeah yeah very interesting so and and it, in reading some of your stories i feel like there is a strong sense of uh, whether intentionally or not you can you can tell me but um yeah. of carrying on that tradition uh you know of of having stories of parables if you will um mm. and saying okay this look at who we are in this kind of a situation or look at mm. what we did in this kind of a situation yeah. and what does that say about us is that is that something you've been doing like intentionally is that something that you just feel comes out as you as you write yeah i feel like that definitely just comes out naturally and a thing that i've been thinking about recently is this quote i think it's by nina simone that the responsibility of artists to reflect a society back to itself or one of the things that art does is mm-hmm. to reflect a society back to itself and i think that's a lot of what my work is trying to do um i don't know if it's intentional it just happens to be like this is the the society that i know this is a culture that mm. i've i've grown up in this is the history that is in my skin and in my blood right <laughs> um so of course these are the stories that i want to tell and i'm going to tell and um i also think about how traditionally and historically magic and the speculative have been so part of the physical realm for a lot of africans mm. and black and brown and indigenous people that it hasn't had to be defined as separate from that it hasn't had to be called magic because it just is the everyday sure sure yeah. it's um it it's actually very similar to a conversation i had with um middle eastern uh, writers and uh mm. south asian writers i mm-hmm. uh, i'm starting to read more and more of south asian uh speculative writers it's a very similar uh absence of that separation right yeah the idea of the myth the idea of the magic and the idea of what it is to our spirit yeah is all meshed together it's not a separation mm. um 
And I think that's the interesting thing that I find with and, and tell me tell me your perspective on this. Yeah. But when I read Western uh, science fiction or Western mm-hmm. fantasy, mm-hmm. there's a distinct sense of this is different yeah. um, and it's separate and it's something we have to learn. Um, yeah. is, is that your experience? Is that? Job? Yeah, I feel like I agree. Like a lot of what has been pushed in Western structures of storytelling is, especially when it comes to speculative fiction, is, you know, even the idea of realist versus speculative, even the idea of literary versus genre, it's like stories are stories. <laughs> and um, there are things in the world that are unexplainable and that just is what it is. So that doesn't make it any less realist when it's written into a story, right? Mm-hmm. Um I I definitely have been even in my teaching I've been pushing against that idea that like there's a f- that that the stories that are speculative are more are frivolous in a way that doesn't count that l- makes it lose its validity mm-hmm. <laughs> than than realist stories which have been written into the canon or whatever and yeah I completely agree with you there's it's, there's definitely an idea about that it's interesting to me because um it's actually one of the reasons why I named my uh, site and podcast Frivolous Comma, because yeah. the idea that <laughs> this is about supposed to be uh, about escapism, supposed to be about, you know, this is just a fun story. Yeah. Um, but oddly enough, here we are where there's a big movement towards yeah. speculation, like just mm. media and everything. Yeah. And um it's not that frivolous, right? It's actually very, very introspective in some ways. Yeah. Um, when you were in, in, in growing up in Kenya and and writing things like this, was this something that was like encouraged uh, in school by by parents, community, and so on, or was this uh, was there a little bit of an uphill battle, or not so much? Um, that's a complicated question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing to be aware of is the nuance in ex-colonized countries Mm. when it comes to the constant internalized battle of like what they know to be true from their history and what they've been taught to be true from their more immediate history. Sure. Interesting. (laughs) Um, So I think even when it comes to, there definitely were some tensions. There Mm. was some 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 battling when it comes to being able to tell the speculative stories um that don't yeah that don't comply with that actually have to force kenyans to sit down with our trauma and to sit mm. down with our um our pain and and to not ignore that the last hundred years did not happen um yeah and i feel like that's that's another thing because imagination is deeply tied to memory so you cannot separate the speculative from history (laughs) right they both go hand in hand yeah so as you as you're talking about that it makes me think of one of your stories that i really liked of the first story of yours that i really liked Mm. um which was the little history of things lost and found Mm. um is that is that 
story addressing some of this uh, as you were writing? Is that what you were looking to do with that story? Yeah. I also just wanted talking trees. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, saw the, I saw the title and then yeah. I started reading about it and I was yeah. like, this is, I, I could totally get back behind trees. So yeah, I, the idea of trees as holders of memory and history and mm. like, how to say, um, guardians of, you know, our lives mm-hmm. even after like we we may not be able to access our own history but here yeah. are trees yeah that was something that was very compelling to me about that story so tell me a little bit more of like what if you don't mind like how did what drove that story like what was the inspiration for that yeah um okay so it definitely is doing that work of tying memory to imagination um I think one of the things was it was a dedication to Wangari Maathai, mm. who was this brilliant activist and healer and um, just an advocate for for the forest and the trees and the earth in in ways that should be heavily recognized and never forgotten. Um, so it was important for me to share her story and also to think about how trees in our culture have always meant something deeper. And the work that she was doing is in fact a direct example of of the legacy of colonization in conflict with our own understanding of our relationship to the earth. (laughs) Um, Where she was fighting a government who were thinking about development and the progression of the country and, you know, cutting down trees was a means to an end. Um, And she was like, no, (laughs) development should not come at the cost of, of the land. Because historically, we are not owners of land. Land is not supposed to be privatized. We we borrow it and we commune with it, and you know we move on. And it's it's a mutual relationship, where and that's something that I wanted to do with a story um, and with the relationship between Muta and the trees, mm-hmm. where there's an understanding that this is a relationship, a symbiotic relationship. We. Um, draw from each other we we are in conversation with each other um and i genuinely believe that like we knew this intrinsically before colonization to some degree um if you look at our myths and our legends quote unquote um there's a lot of trees in them i know in the gekoyo culture which is my tribe there's there's a tree which is supposed to be the bridge to the afterlife, <laughs> which is something that I discovered recently and I was absolutely obsessed with because when I've lost people I loved, I started finding healing in trees. And mm. I think that's where the story started for me, which is why it was also a story about grief because it was it was very personal, but also thinking culturally and historically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um, you you mentioned grief and you mention um, you know healing from trauma and things and it's yeah. I feel like that is a a common thread uh, through your stories um, yeah and and how we process or um, 
find refuge from either either from the grief, from the trauma, or f- find a place to be able to just sit and process. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm thinking of your uh, other story. You know, the um, how to um, this is how to stay alive. Yeah. And, um, I think that that's very that's a very powerful story. Uh, as I read mm-hmm. it, I was like, there's, there's a lot here, um, and you've done the way it, you wrote it. it the the power comes from like like two sentences in in the story, at least for me. Mm. And it was like it, it occurred to me what the story, uh, what what the crux of the story was, mm. which was you know Baraka and how Baraka uh, perceived them, uh, himself, and mm. how he wanted to be in the world, and what he was fighting against uh, in in the family. Mm. Um, is that the where did that story come from, and is that something that was written towards a, a like an audience in Kenya? Was that something that you were writing towards an audience here? Um, what was the what was the intention of of writing that story? Mm. This is great because like I've been having a lot of conversations about audience recently. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and. I've been quoting Kay Miller, who Kai Miller, who's one of my favorite writers of all time. And in this interview where he says that he says something along the lines of um, when I'm writing a story because he writes in the UK, but he's from the Caribbean. Um, I'm writing I'm having a conversation with my people, mm. but anyone else, anyone outside of that is allowed to overhear. As long as they know that they are overhearing the conversation and the conversation is not necessarily directed at them, to Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And it's like realizing that you are that readers in the West are necessarily necessarily the center of the story is really important for me. And yet the story um, in its ability to be universal can also speak to an experience outside of the experience of the person who it is for. <laughs> um, and when I came to the story, it definitely was a direct practice or experiment in reflecting back my people to them, <laughs> mm. to ourselves. Um, and it was hard. It's a painful story to write. It's, yeah, because it deals with queerness, um, which is still illegal in Kenya, Mm. um, still criminalized. And, but it also deals with suicide and it deals with mental health, um, which to some degree has been a taboo and, and more and more is becoming de-tabooed. And, um, I just want to be part of that conversation. I think that was what was important for me also to know that this is just one version of the story. And there are so many other people who are having the same conversation. Um, and I, I was hoping, I'm hoping that my work just adds to that conversation, To add, it adds to that reflection of ourselves back to ourselves in a way that can make us stop and think about mm. how we are hurting and how the ways we are hurting are, hurt, are hurting the people we love. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think with that story, it's about Baraka definitely and about his pain. Um, it's also about his family and and their pain and how their pain um, is projected and how <laughs> um, 
they have to sit with their their part in in you know traumatizing or or being part of the problem right and also sit with the fact that the problem is a society that doesn't allow a person to be fully themselves mm. and doesn't allow a person to be seen right. <laughs> um which ties back into capitalism and imperialism and all the ways of being that have been forced on us by Western development and agenda. Yeah. <laughs> there's um, there's so many threads and questions I have. And so I will. Yeah. I will this, is, this is a very big topic because in a lot of ways, much of what you're talking about are conversations I've had with some uh, Native um, you know, Native Americans here. Mm. Uh, and mm. the same, you know, very similar issues of, you know, the the colonialized uh, experience and, yeah. then, and then coming out of it um, or trying to come out of it uh, yeah. when, the, when it feels like the world order is is focused on pushing, you know, our our future history in a very specific direction. Yeah. Right. And yeah. but at the same time, we're like, well, we are a myriad group of people. And so we have different visions of our future and what it should be like. Yeah. Um, as opposed to being this one monolith kind of yeah. law of averages kind of set up. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I had a, a similar conversation um, with another author where we were talking about agency which mm. was a very big piece for her as she's writing her stories and and you know the the experience of women in certain cultures and um, experience of women coming out of that but then also um the experience of trying to make a a future in a in a, in a new culture that's not ready for it as well and mm. so we were talking so much about agency and then i feel like so your stories deal with this uh, from a from a different tangent yeah. a little yeah. bit of <laughs> here's trauma here's our history here's our memory all of which have yeah. been somehow you know compressed suppressed you know yeah. pushed aside and we're yeah. trying to claim it back Mm. And I feel like that's that's exactly. a big piece of what I saw. I love how you set up um, the you know yeah. history of things uh, lost and found because yeah. it's that relationship of how do we reclaim each other? Um, yeah. That relationship between each other is that is yeah. that a fair fair assessment? Oh, that was you said it better than I could have. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's exactly it, because I think um, being able to talk about hard things and sit with the hard things allows us to start the process of healing. Um, and yeah, I, I think that there is a lot of when you were talking about agency, I was thinking also about Baraka and and the choice to die, which is something that I I had been thinking about a lot, mm, and and what that means and what that looks like, and because it happened in my close vicinity, right? Um, and there are no easy answers, honestly. And there's no, and I think one of the biggest things was. Um, his sister Nyokabi feeling like she could save him. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
and and feeling like she could actually make it different and make it better and that's the saviorist mentality that's also if you're not careful tied to whiteness and to imperialism um and it was something that she had to unlearn that like it was not it's not her it's not her choice <laughs> mm-hmm. to make and it's hard and it's not her fault either and it's not his fault either and like n- not being able to place blame is something that humans have a huge struggle with <laughs> um it's it's a hard one for us um but it it was important to tell that story because again sitting with the hard part sitting with a trauma sitting with the um the part that hurts the most even though we don't have the answers is part of the process of healing mm-hmm. and part of the process of moving through it and from it um yeah it's um the 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 question of audience to me is very interesting yeah. here because it's as you said it's that you're you know you've written for a particular market if you will but yeah you're inviting them to pay attention to something that's not necessarily meant for them. Yeah. Um, have you, do you, I always wonder is, do you, have you written for uh, uh, the a Kenyan market where you're like writing? I don't know if you've written stories in Swahili or not. Um, is that something that you try to do? Is that anything that you've, uh, you've thought about doing? Oh yeah. I mean, most of my stories, um have both swahili and english and yeah um yeah i i try to incorporate both because that's how that's how i grew up (laughs) um that's how i grew up communicating and i think for me one of the things because i'm also writing a fantasy novel right now like my first full-length novel and one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is language and dialect. And that's one of my favorite topics to discuss, because I think that there should be room for us to write the way that we speak. Mm -hmm. And also one of the things that's deeply important to me is knowing that different Englishes exist Mm -hmm. and different Englishes that are spoken should appear on the page. Um, and given just as much validity as every other English. Um, and that's what I try to do in my stories. I, yeah, I think that's my answer. No, that's, that's, that's fascinating to me because yeah. I noticed how you, the, the structure of how you write sentences, how you write dialogue in, yeah. in your stories. And it made me think of, because you also mentioned earlier that you did um, spoken word and poetry. Mm. And it, it's making me think of um, this, the novella Riot Baby by Tochio mm. Noguchi. And I was, I feel like that was a very, so I could good. be completely wrong. He might yeah. email me and be like, she got this completely wrong. But <laughs> I feel like he wrote in a very spoken word kind of fashion in that story yeah. have you read it yeah yeah i have <laughs> and it, um, a lot of what you said makes so much sense both in just what you said about you know different englishes exist right yeah um yeah. but also this whole thing with about audience because i read that book not being part of that experience and mm. as i was reading it, it's such a visceral mm. book yeah. um 
And I was reading it. I was it like, comes for you and your soul. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was reading this. I read it through in, in one night and um, I realized that I didn't have anything to say about this. Mm. Um, like I, I felt like having an opinion about the, his book was not for me to have an opinion about. I was being invited to listen in on a conversation, um, but not not make a comment about it yeah. because it's not my experience. And that's it, it really stood out. And I was like, I was going to write a review about it, mm. but I was like, I don't know if I can mm. because I don't know if it's my place to. That should be your review, I think. <laughs> I might think I might I might think that's thought. I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> it just really stood out and I feel like a lot yeah. of stories and I wanna I wanna get into this a little bit with you is is yeah. you know, what you're doing with voodoo knots and what you're doing yeah. with the different writers that you're working with is how 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 do you talk to other aspiring writers about what and whom they're writing for? Mm. Yeah. Um, so my friend and colleague, kind of the Coco founder of Voodoo Andre yeah. <laughs> or LP Kindred, um, has this great workshop called Fix It Jesus. <laughs> and <laughs> I think one of the things, one of the biggest things that I learned from that workshop, and I'm hoping that it's the correct workshop, it might have been a different one, but he starts with asking people about their ontologies hmm. and like makes makes the writers write down all the things, like list from from the perceived view of the world externally what they would be seen as who they would be seen as and then to write who they see themselves as um so i would write like you know black kenyan queer mm -hmm. um writer storyteller friend sister daughter um all these different things that talk about who i am because those are the things that make me feel seen <laughs> Um, and then talk about how, what is missing in the stories that I'm seeing in the world? What is not seeing me? <laughs> and, and try to fill, fill that gap. Like, those are the stories that I want to tell. I want to tell the stories that makes anyone who is like me feel seen. <laughs> Because I know growing up as, oh, a dark-skinned little girl, 10 years old, feeling like the opposite of everything the world values and thinks as beautiful or um, just valid. And, and just needing to have a reflection or an affirmation or something that told me that my being here was important and like even in the everyday just to see yourself seen is the most basic human need and desire just to be seen um and i think once we understand that we're able to write stories that are about seeing ourselves and seeing people around us because then we're able to see what is missing in the stories that are out there 
who is not being seen and why are they not being seen? Because like stories are political. They're tied to an agenda regardless. And just being aware and honest of of what your agenda slash desire is, is allows the stories to be more honest, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. It's, um, wow, it's, so the, I feel like a lot of, um, science science fiction speculative fiction and is about testing the um the validity of who who are we going to be you know five years down the road 10 50 100 years down the road and are we still going to struggle with the same things today yeah well or then that we will today right and Mm -hmm. um the more science fiction and and stories that I read and fantasy stories that I read, the more it continues to kind of, I feel like there was a time when a lot of science fiction was written um, for like the plot, the story, the fun of it. Um, But then, you know, the, the question of who are we amidst all this? Yeah. It's a little buried. And in in the past few years, I feel like there's been this resurgence of like, wait, we can use this. We can use this to help us um, reevaluate and to um, rebuild who Mm. we are, who we should be. Because so many people think of, I think, speculation as uh, predictive uh, in in value. Yeah. But – I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think yeah. that it's, it, there could be a predictive value, but only if certain things work that way, right? I think yeah. It's much more reflective, um, much more introspective. Yeah. Um, a conversation I recall having was, you know, what do people do when they don't have a lot of resources? Well, they, mm-hmm. they turn it in, inwards because. You have to. You have nothing else. You yeah. have to think about who you're going to be in that yeah. situation. The, yeah. What were some influences of either writers or uh, stories that drove you to think about writing this way? Um, you know, is it, mm. were there other writers or authors that, you know, continue to encourage you in this thought process or maybe even – Someone you read that you're yeah. like, oh, I don't really like reading that at all. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, when I realized that black people could have fantasy and sci-fi, my whole world was blown. I was like, what? <laughs> this is a thing? This is possible? That's so cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I remember reading Akata Witch, for example, by Nnedi Okorofa, and just thinking, because of the way that she uses Juju um, in that book, just thinking about, like, the words that we have for magic, Mm. and how, like, in our cultures, because of the history of colonization, bringing it back to that, um, that conversation, there's they're demonized to some degree. Um, the words for magic in indigenous cultures are demonized. They're like mm. they translate to witchcraft or like negative, bad magic, negative magic. Um, and yet in English, there's like juju is tied to something bad. Voodoo is tried, tied to this idea of like 
darkness always. Right. <laughs> um, and yet magic has a privilege of like the word magic has a privilege of of being good and bad and everything in between. If you watch Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or whatever other white magical stories that exist. Mm. Um and then here comes a kata witch and juju is like, oh, there are different types of juju. And like you can use it for good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can also use it for bad. And just like holding it as this um, nuanced, but also it just is what it is. And and we as humans are the ones who determine the cut, like whether it's bad or good. And... Um, then I started thinking about Uchawi, which is magic in Swahili, okay. and just how, oh, how I could play with that, how I could play with, with the culture and the history of Uchawi, because, you know, when we grew up learning, oh, don't touch Uchawi, that's like, <laughs> you know, that's witchcraft, that's, <laughs> demons will possess you, just don't, don't do it, don't right. do it. Um, but then now I was like, wait, but what about the the medicine people who existed, who exist in our cultures, who were demonized because of yeah. this history. Um, what about the work that they were doing that was actually trying to heal and to help? And like, at what point was that disconnect? Mm. <laughs> at what point were they, um, you know, evil and not good when on this side of the world, there's, and I speak to the the West, when I, I speak to America, the UK and and um the global north there's the possible there's a return to magic as like this really cool fanciful like oh, <laughs> oh let's talk about <laughs> you know the stars and like gems and <laughs> and you know our just all these different things that, that that are in conversation now and it's very cool to be talking about, um, which I love, but I'm also kind of salty because I'm like, y'all left a history <laughs> that made us demonize our own magic so that you could come back to it and think it's cool <laughs> while we're still dealing with the trauma of trying to unlearn all the shit you left us with. So... <laughs> But yes, that's a long way to answer that Akata, which did was was a really important book for me when I was thinking about like the words that we use. Um, and then August Town again. I've mentioned it. I in almost every interview and every um, written conversation around um, and this is how to stay alive because that book gave me so much permission. August Town by Carmela. Um, just to write the way that my people talk mm. uh, and to not write a linear narrative, which is something that has been important in my writing style to think about if I'm caught, if I'm thinking about memory and imagination in the same vein, then I'm thinking about past and future in the same vein. So how to collapse time, how to talk about <laughs> um, stories in, in a very circular um kind of up and down up is down down is up way this is this is actually very interesting to me and actually very exciting because i feel like there's so many places this goes and and i was reading uh, your story um and this is how we stay alive and yeah something something clicked right like i had an aha moment 
And I yeah. wanted to ask you about this: is it whether it's actually it's real in in uh, in Kenyan culture or so on? It, the how you think of time, yeah. Uh, because you know, in the story, you talk about how there's there's the things that that have been, which is the past, and things that is now. But the idea of a future is not necessarily how we think of it as a future. Yeah. Um, can you can you go into that a little bit? I'm I'm very curious about that. Yeah, um, I quoted John Bitti in the story, who is a Kenyan philosopher um, and and thinker and writer and, yeah, just really brilliant in a lot of ways. I don't agree with everything that he says, but like he said a lot of things that have been really impactful to the way that I think about our own history and understanding of time. Um, and... Yeah, he just unveils or talks more about how we believe in a present and a long past. Um, and we believe that the future is a return to the past to some degree. Mm. So it doesn't exist. It's potential time um, because time is only the here and now and what has led up to the here and now. Um, and... Yeah, I think I think that's seen in in the way that our culture is set up. This is so interesting because having lived in America, I see this on the daily with um, the deep capitalist mentality that just exists in the everyday of like, go, 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 go. So future oriented, so goal oriented. So like, oh, we're going to get to this and this place and do this and this thing. And like, that will be a factor that determines whether we've made it or not and when we get there there's another goal that we have to reach and it's so fast paced in a way that doesn't allow you to actually live because you're just waiting you're just waiting for the next step and then you can live and then but then at that step there's another step and then you can live and in Kenyan culture there's this pole pole which means slowly, slowly. I was just talking about this with a friend of mine, especially on the coast, which is my favorite place ever, the Swahili seas, um, where everything is just so like focused on the here and now, so focused on, on, on being in relationship and being in conversation with people. And there was a time that a friend of mine told me that I feel like there's this Kenyan timing, quote unquote, which is Kenyans are always late, late which is close to African timing and close to CP timing. Um, <laughs> and I think because that culture, he said that the culture is drawn from, we, like Americans in the West, measure time with tasks and we, we measure time with relationships, or at least that's our history of so like oh if you get late because you met so and so this person who you haven't talked to in like four years on the street on your way and like you have a whole conversation and it's like this is most important right now like focusing on on rekindling this relationship and having this conversation is the most important thing right now um and yeah just small things like that a reminder of of our history and our understanding of time as it was um and something that i think a lot of kenyans are getting back to is 
is is adding the spiritual element, which is what John Bitty talks about, and which is also the speculative element. It's interesting, yeah, because yeah, when I was reading about it, it's uh, the the way that I interpreted it was, you know, so there's there's the long past, there's the present, yeah. which is yeah. all in, all consuming. Right? Yes. There's nothing else yeah. but the present um, and everything about the present. The past is in relation to the present because everything mm-hmm. led up to it, right? Yeah. And then the future, to me, it was almost like the future is not a future in terms of time. Future is, yeah. and I think you might have said this, it was like... It's just the an array of possibilities mm-hmm. of what the present could be. Yeah, yeah. But that's not necessarily future. It's just yeah. a possibility. Yeah, which is why I love the term potential time. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I like that too. I really do. It's, it's given yeah. me a lot of a uh, lot of ideas. Yeah. Hey, are you about to write a story? <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm working on a few projects myself, and uh, I'm that is incredible. Trying to find. Do they play with time? Playing with time, more perception of time as opposed mm. to time itself. I feel like yeah. I'm. I don't know if I'm uh, particularly good at thinking about time uh, mm. to make it into my story. So it's going to be mostly how how we perceive it and how we live with it um yeah so yeah um but this is this is fascinating and so tell me a little bit more about like when you came from when because you just moved to the united states uh, i think 2019 you said yes and so how's that shift been as you've been writing you know uh back home writing here how tell me a little bit about how um has that affected your writing, especially like in the in the pandemic, for example, like because you came Oof. right before that, and then all this stuff happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, how has been writing through both of those transitions? <laughs> oh, we would need a day's worth of interviews and a bottle of wine to yeah, get into that story. <laughs> <laughs> it's um it's been a journey. It's been it's definitely been a journey and um I've talked a little bit about it in um my essay even after death which is on uncanny I talk about like some of the grief that I experienced while I was in the states so it was also mm. a time of deep grief also a time of um, there was a season that was probably the most depressed I've ever been in my life um, and <laughs> which is probably why I tell the stories that I tell which is I because I, I definitely process the things that I'm experiencing with my writing um, and I try to be as honest as possible about how messy and complicated and not neatly packaged all of that is. <laughs> um, because I also want I also want my work to be healing, I think, at the end of the day, to, or at least to contribute to healing. And I know that like being in conversation with other stories that talk about grief um, and... Um, speculating into grief um, has was really helpful to me and um, one of the people that I love very dearly her name is Karila said that we need more grief literacy so that was mm. something that I was thinking a lot about um, during these last two years 
um, and also just because of everything that was going on in the world. It's been a really hard two years, not just because of the pandemic, but also because it's forced us to, again, sit in the here and now. I think it forced us to collapse time, actually. Absolutely. <laughs> I completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And pay attention to all the pain throughout the world. And I've been I've been teaching teenagers um since august last year and it's interesting because the, i'm in this dynamic where there it's a boarding school that i'm in so i do check-in it's more than just the role of a teacher and like i also have advisees and like a mentorship to some degree and one of the conversations that we had was about how for them, the way that they're experiencing the world right now is they have access to everyone's pain all the time, mm-hmm. which is it, it made me stop and think because I was like, yeah, when I was their age, um, the Internet was not as <laughs> right. as big and as. <laughs> present as it is right now yeah um and to some degree it's a wonderful thing because like we get to advocate f- advocate for people on the other side of the world and we get to decenter ourselves and look at other experiences and try to participate in in what needs to be done globally on the other hand it means that there is no end to the constant array of death and trauma and pain and heartbreak and how do we live in that type of world Mm. (laughs) and how do we speculate in that type of world and i think that the only way to live in that type of world is to speculate into that type of world um and yeah so storytelling has been a process of growing and learning and trying to imagine into a world that doesn't take into account the messiness of grief mm. and yet is trying to leave, live through collective and individual grief. <laughs> yeah. Is, 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 when did you start Voodoo Knots? And was that something mm. uh, that, you know, I think my yeah. listeners would be very interested in knowing how, how you started that, why you started it. And, you know, is this a lot of what you're trying to do with, with uh, the workshop and so on? For sure. Um, yeah, so Voodoo Knots was started in 2020. I think the summer of 2020. Um, my friend Yvette and I, um, who were both doing our MFAs at the time, were just thinking about how, and we're both from um, different parts of Africa. She's from Zimbabwe, I'm from Kenya. And we were just thinking about the ways that we could give back the resources that we had access to um and then thinking about how okay so during that season the world was paying attention to black lives matter Mm. um because it was around the season of george floyd and brianna taylor um and a couple other people and there was also on the internet and in the writing world, the publishing paid me movement going on, which was um, opening up the conversation about based off of race and privilege, how much you get to be paid, how much you get to earn in this industry and um, the disparity between what white people are paid and what people of color are paid and what black people are paid. It's, and it was wild. And we were just thinking about how 
knowing how important storytelling is the work that it does in the journey of healing and the journey of processing and the journey of 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 being alive in a painful world um why is it that the the tools of storytelling have to be like there's a gatekeeper gatekeepership to it <laughs> and um we wanted to give access to those tools like everyone especially the people on the margins should be able to have access to the tools that allow them to tell the stories that they need to tell the ways that they want to tell and voodoo knots became a project and a practice of of living the future that we want to create mm-hmm. where we were like we will we'll have a free summer workshop and we'll for black people and black speculative fiction writers um and we'll just talk about the things that we've been learning in our classes and get other people involved who are able to get share their time and expertise um and we'll have conversations and we'll build community and it's become one of the most beautiful things in my life because it is filled with such uh, wholesome beautiful community and energy and just dreaming into reality the 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 future that we imagine mm-hmm. for black people it's it's an afro futurist dream come true in my <laughs> perspective <laughs> Um and I know I'm I'm talking it up and tooting my own horn no, but please do. Um, yeah I know because I'm, in my show notes I definitely want to call, call it out uh for for my readers and my listeners as well so yeah that's fascinating so are you running this is it every summer it's every summer and we've also worked with Clarion West we've had okay. partnerships and collaborations with Clarion West where nice. we have we're able to open up the workshop to um, people from all different ethnicities and backgrounds and yeah so we've I think we've taught every summer and fall okay. the last two years very cool um, yeah and our next workshop is this summer we're actually in the process of, of putting it together we also have an anthology coming out that we're very excited about oh very cool uh, that? that has work from the first year Voodoonaut fellow cohort nice <laughs> is that is that coming out in 2022 um yes it should be coming out towards the end of this year um yeah Okay. It will be all over our our Very Twitter cool. and <laughs> social media. That's fa- that's fantastic. Yeah. I think that um, yeah. it's very interesting to me um, that you know the my a lot of what I do, what some of what I'm writing is around science fiction, and I'm very interested in having a future that is very messy. Um, yeah. Because I don't think that you know, again, law of averages is not going to be the 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 state of uh, the world uh, or the galaxy, I guess, in in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, to me, what we're going through is in different ways. It'll it'll probably show up again. Uh, mm-hmm. Is my opinion that we're going to go through a lot of these things over and over again yeah um, in the future and yeah. how, how are we going to respond then with what That's we right. know um, yeah. but this is very very interesting uh Shingai. this has been a lot of fun i guess my, uh, a parting uh question that i have uh for benefit of our listeners is as, as a 
what is something that you would recommend for aspiring writers right at this point? I mean, it's a very broad question, but mm. um, what would you say to an aspiring writer who's looking at um, writing, you know, real future speculative uh, stories. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, what are a couple of things that you would uh, recommend that they either read or think about as they're writing their stories? Oh, I love that. Okay. So I definitely think have writing community. That's one of the biggest things for me. Um, just having people whose storytelling you you admire and who are interested in helping you develop your own voice and your own storytelling um that that is i think what makes or breaks a writer to some degree um i would heavily suggest the other book that i did not mention that was a big inspiration to me was the deep by river solomon mm. um brilliantly written it holds both memory and imagination and talks about and holds conflict <laughs> and and nuance and um just also in regards to your idea of the future being messy knowing that the process of storytelling is not <laughs> neat and cannot be packaged into a cute little box with a bow that's not gonna happen <laughs> um and i actually one of my favorite things that i've learned from black feminists um and the history of black feminists is the dialectic holding space for both end something that um people on the margins have had to do without <laughs> realizing it for their whole history and um, something that we just have to accept more because Western ideology um, perpetrates binaries and the idea of either or as the only way to be alive and um, being able to hold both end is messy but it's also more honest. And if you're trying to tell speculative stories and stories about the future and stories about the past, um, they have to be honest. <laughs> they have to be honest for them to be good. I think that's um, one of the biggest things for me. I had recently, a parting thought, I had a conversation with students where we were talking about what is at the heart of a good story. And, you know, we we're talking about truth being at the heart of a good story, regardless of what the story is. And then we talked about the difference between truth and fact, because you can have a story about aliens or fairies or gnomes mm -hmm. or <laughs> monsters or whatever creatures you want to include. And it doesn't have to be factual. You can even have a historical story that doesn't have to be quote unquote factual, but it needs to be truthful. And truthful comes from being vulnerable, which is being honest. And that part is messy and that part is hard and it forces you to confront yourself and your own biases <laughs> um, and your agenda, but it allows you to tell the story in a way that makes other people feel seen. And that's how you know you're telling a good story because they're like, oh, this feels honest. This is an experience that I know viscerally in my soul. Yeah. 
this has been an extremely rich conversation. I feel like we could have many uh, other additional longer conversations on several subjects, but this has been a real pleasure, Shingai. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, with us here today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this of course. This has been a wonderful conversation.